and welcome to the Dork County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing all right. A little bit different from the last time around when I said, okay, now that you've got me thinking about that every time I answer you. <laughs> it has been a nice couple of days out. I hope that you've been able to get outside a little bit. Earlier in the week, it was not looking awesome, but we've had some pretty nice days these last couple of days. So hopefully you've been outside, hanging out with your dog, that kind of stuff. Well, chasing the dog uh, about an hour ago, but that's about it so far. Hopefully this evening. <laughs> That's good. It is May 1st as we are recording this, and May 1st means a couple different things. Um, There were uh, a lot of pushes in different parts of the the state and the country to open things back up on May 1st. Some safer at home orders are over today, so we'll have uh, some parts of the country going back to work and opening things back up today. Our safer at home order in Wisconsin is still until May 26th, so things are things are kind of on the move and it it's I don't feel a, a, a particular sense of like, yay, here we go. We're getting back together. I am I am very nervous watching states reopen and go back to business as normal because it's going to tell us a lot in these next couple of weeks about whether we're prepared to do that or not. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about this before, but normally this would be half marathon weekend. And it's I certainly would not be comfortable putting on that event this, right. this weekend, given what we know. So although this would be a beautiful weekend to do the half marathon. It's like 60 and perfectly sunny outside right now. Great running weather. <laughs> it, does, it does give me a little pause just to be like, oh, come on. It's just, this is incredible right now. This would be great right. to be running in the park. So maybe I'll go for a run tomorrow. Um, Sounds like a good idea. But what you mentioned about some of these other states, and right before we got a, started recording here, I mean, Georgia has eased restrictions starting today, but they've also, they just reported a thousand new cases. They're up to 27,000 cases and Metro Atlanta is still spiking. So they, they haven't exactly opened wide open as some people have maybe think they are. Cause I know some people like we've talked about Michigan, some people in Wisconsin protesting saying, why don't we open it up like other States? Well, Georgia is, they're still limiting gatherings to 10, 10 people or less. They're still maintaining strict social distancing, the rundown of what people still have to stay locked down. I I pulled up a a note on this and it's basically people still told to stay in their homes are people um, through June 12th are 65 and older, anyone in a nursing home or a long-term care facility, chronic lung disease, moderate to severe asthma, heart disease, immunocompromised, diabetes. There's just a laundry list of people who still are are told they should still shelter in place through June 12th. So even Georgia, that some people are pointing to, not exactly wide open right now. Right. Well, there were reports, too, of Texas Governor Abbott preparing to drop their stay-at-home order. And then yesterday, the state had more than 1,000 new cases and also had 50 more deaths, which are both highs since the middle of March and middle of April, respectively. And and today, Wisconsin reported its all-time highest growth for a single day with 426 seven new cases in the, or I'm sorry, 460 new cases today. And as a percentage of total tests taken, it also has climbed back up. So we've had some moments where it seemed like we were gonna, we'd have maybe a couple days downward in that percentage, which is the main thing to watch. The new cases are going to continue, like the, the gross numbers of new cases are going to continue growing up because we're just ramping up our testing capacity a great right. deal. Um, so the number to watch is the percentage of those that are positive. And today we have had the highest since the governor announced that as a metric. We're back up to 
today was 12.7% of total tests taken were positive. That's the highest it's been since April 9th. So right. um, not good news on that front. Well, and we had talked before about that plateau and the drop-off point. You want to start opening things back up after the plateau has started to trend downwards. And now that we're looking at the at these new influx of cases, it looks more and more like that we're not in that plateauing area anymore, that we are perhaps at the start of a plateau or, or maybe still on the upward trend. So when you have people pushing to open things back up sooner, get going May 1st, it's that percentage positive that you need to look at and things aren't looking awesome for that right now. Now, that being said, the Badger bounce back order has allowed different and more businesses to start to open with restrictions, um, including animal groomers are now able to operate with restrictions. Uh, there's more opportunities for curbside pickup and takeout, that kind of stuff. So we're starting to see businesses able to start increasing their availability. But uh, I, I think that we're still probably a ways away from full on opening back up. Right. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, I hope we do see a few more loosenings, um, maybe next week. Like I've said before, I, I think we could probably do some things with retail. I do know the state is finally starting to trickle out some more specific guidance to businesses and the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation has put some stuff together. Later in this podcast, we'll have an interview with Brian Stevens and Dr. Jim Heiss at Door County Medical Center, and they've been involved in creating some local guidelines for uh, restaurants and businesses to use on a high level. So we're starting to get some of that information out to businesses about like what that opening what they need to be doing, how they make sure they're not going to be held liable for problems, and to ultimately, the most important thing, keep people healthy and safe and find out if we can start doing some things safely. Um, you know, like you look at Georgia, I mean, they're, they're still, they're jumping back into it pretty quickly. And it's going to be very interesting to see how smart they can be about it when they're still really in the midst of pretty high level growth. I mean, Wisconsin's at about a third the number of new cases that Georgia has daily. So, and we're at about 25% of the number of total cases Georgia has. I, I'd be, I'd be nervous if I was down there. So, well, it's nice. We got a pretty, but if, but if they pull it off, that's a good sign for us. That's a sign that, okay, if they can do it in Georgia and it's, and figure out a way to do it safely and not see a, a huge spike or second wave, maybe we can, that gives me more confidence that we'd be able to here. Glad somebody right. has volunteered to be first. Also today on May 1st, state parks in Wisconsin are back open, many of them with capacity limits and other restrictions uh, operating under different hours than you might normally be used to. But that is a good sign. State parks opening up, giving people a place to get out into nature. Um, and to be, of course, be clear, like Door County parks have been open throughout. It's mainly a bunch of parks in the southern part of the state. Right. But it actually it does put some new tightening on on the Door County State Parks because it says parks will be closed on Wednesdays. So right, yeah, you've got that. And of course, if you're going out just in general, but even to the state parks and stuff, practice proper social distancing. If you have a mask, wear it. All that kind of stuff. Keep yourself and others safe while you're going out and enjoying the state parks. And clean up uh, after it, yourselves. <laughs> go ahead. Like, I, well, one of the things that people were doing, of course, was like leave, trashing the parks and, and there's some vandalism and just leaving garbage around. I mean, be smart. I mean, these are our most valuable assets. And now we're seeing just how valuable they are if we didn't see it before. So people should be 
more respectful than ever at our, our state parks and our county parks and all of our public spaces because we need them and we don't need to give people an excuse to close them. Right. If you're wearing disposable gloves or masks out and about, which I encourage you to do, don't just throw them on the ground when you're done with them. Put them in the garbage. Don't leave them on the floor. <laughs> that's been one thing that's been kind of troubling to see is just pictures of people's gloves just thrown in the parking lot when you're done shopping. If you don't have a garbage can in your car, throw them away at a garbage can outside the doors. If you have to hold on to them until you get home, just throw them in your trunk or something and then dispose of them when you get there. Don't just leave them on the floor. Yeah. If you're going to leave them on the floor, just take yourself, take your literal whole body and just throw yourself in the trash. Because if you can't yeah. figure that out, you're not doing much good for the rest of us. So, Miles, one other thing that I want to talk about today, uh, Peninsula Music Festival announced that they are canceling their season today. So this is coming after Peninsula Players and Birch Creek have canceled their seasons. This one's a little bit different, though. So Peninsula Music Festival goes in August. So this is maybe one of the later seasons to actually close, correct? Yeah, that's uh, the first major one for that time of year. Um, you know, that that raises a lot of questions for everybody else. Peninsula Music Festival obviously been going on in Fish Creek at, at Gibraltar School. It used to take place in the old gym. It's the supporters of the Peninsula Music Festival are actually some of the initial supporters that made the Door Community Auditorium even happen. So it is really a crucial part of the arts and entertainment and, and performance scene of Door County. Um, right. Making that announcement to postpone. Door Community Auditorium released their main stage schedule today. Some really good names on there, but even in their release, they've, they're saying like, this is our schedule as of now. Who knows what we're actually going to be able to do. Um, right. But they do have Old Grow Medicine Show and Tanya Tucker and The Whalers and John Hyatt all on there. So I, it would be great if even part of that schedule can take place. But at the same time that that announcement came out, I my sister sent me a message. She's in Chicago and Ravinia is a... Um, really big outdoor venue in the Chicago area that has great shows all summer long. And she said, it's just kind of interesting to get this email from about their opening at the auditorium and, and, and their summer schedule. The next email she got was Ravinia saying they had canceled their summer schedule. So what is scheduled today may not be scheduled tomorrow. Um, so. Yeah. And I have to assume that, that the different time frames for different arts organizations are, are, are variable, right? So it, it makes sense for Peninsula players to close because they have to start hiring their crew and their cast and start uh, auditions and rehearsals and all that kind of stuff early on. If they can get out ahead of that, knowing that they probably will be canceled anyway, there's uh, an opportunity there to not spend a bunch of money on hiring people. Um, a place like Door Community Auditorium, I would think that they're a little bit more flexible in that they're their cash flow depends on guests or, or who they have coming in. So I don't know when they have to pay people to come do the show. And likewise, if a lot of this stuff is dependent on if the acts are actually going to be traveling this summer or not. So DCA might decide to stay open and do their season, but you might have one or two or more of these acts drop out because they individually aren't safe traveling right now. So right. Michael Franti was one of their headliners for the summer, but then he canceled his tour. So that's a perfect example of, of what you're talking about there. Right. So I wonder I wonder what the timeline is like, like for Peninsula Music Festival in terms of if there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that they're getting out ahead of in canceling their season or or, or what different elements went into making that decision. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, for each organization, like you said, it's so different. I know for, for myself, helping plan events for the Pacers, you're holding out hope. You're 
trying to follow the news and see like, well, all right, what, what are they telling us? What is a safe way to do this? What are other people doing? You know, we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's so many things when you think about a Door County summer and what it looks like, it's, it's concerts in the park. Are those viable? It's races, it's bike rides, it's beer fest, it's wine fest, it's fall fest, you know, it's, it's July 4th parades, all of those things. It's going to be a very different summer and um, may, maybe in some ways for the better. We'll see. One other thing before we jump into your interview with Brian Stevens and Jim Heiss, it's Friday today. The Peninsula Pulse is in everybody's mailbox today. Also yesterday, we put out a new episode of the Door County Pulse on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page, which is kind of a, a weekly roundup of different local social media posts and, and fun things. We try to keep it very uplifting and show off some fun stuff that's going on. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. For the Pulse today, Miles, are there any specific articles that are worth calling out to, that you want people to check out? Well, every single article in the Pulse is extremely valuable and all should be read from start to finish. But if you want some specific ones, um, the Matt Pottis wrote a, a great piece about high school athletes and some of these folks who, young, young student athletes who had a chance to go to state whether it be the Southern Door softball team or Olivia Stentzel at Sevastopol or Maya Plur, um, Abby City, who was hoping to break Gibraltar's 100-meter dash record, and they won't get that chance. So he just talked to a bunch of these students about what they're feeling, what they're going through, and what the their hopes that they had at, that they're not going to get to fulfill. We have in our, our lit section a first edition of the kind of like quarantine stories um, that we're doing with Right On Door County, where people are writing about their experiences being in quarantine and staying home. Um, it's a pretty interesting look inside people's lives right now. We have the second of our five editions of student papers from the high schools around the, uh, the county. Last week, we had Gibraltar and their Viking voice. This week, we have the Pioneer Chips, the Sevastopol student paper. Uh, Sevastopol student paper is a great one, too, by the way. like that, They have been award-winning for like 30 years. They did a really great job with their, their page today. And then Brett Bicoy has a... A really interesting column I think everybody should read. Uh, it's titled, We Must Hold Together as One County. Brett Bicoy is the um, director of the Door, Com Door County Community Foundation. And he just makes some really good points about thinking about our community differently than within borders and how those second homeowners, those visitors that come here and how important it is that we, that we don't divide ourselves and don't start becoming an us and them county that we recognize right. that we're one community and he makes a great point you know like people are saying stay home stay away and what are who are these jerks coming up here they're putting us all at risk and for the most part people have been incredibly safe when they've come up here and respectful and the door county emergency response fund that they run through the community foundation the stat that brett has is 68 percent of their contributions have come from people who either have an address outside the county or are known to be seasonal residents of the county. So that's 68% of people that despite some of the vitriol going out there, despite being asked not to come here, are still donating huge dollars to help the people of this community. And right. I, I just urge people to think about that when when they're posting some of these things online and, and saying some of these things in public forums, is that these are the people who are helping us have everything that we love so much about this community. 
Right. Yeah. It, it's something that I feel like we take for granted, even in normal times, that the reason that we are able to live here and have the quality of life that we're able to have, the quality of businesses and services that we have is because of the people who pay taxes up here, as well as the people who vacation up here and other tourists that we have every year. So like, if that's something that we're taking advantage just in normal times, I think it's doubly so right now. Uh, yes, people are encouraged to stay home, but uh, that doesn't mean that that we have to be screaming at people online. It doesn't mean that we have to be monitoring license plates because like, that's not even a viable way to tell what's going on anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, so just be nicer to one another. Uh, for the most part, people are trying to be safe. They're trying to keep others safe for the most part. So yeah. just keep that in mind as, as we continue our conversations online and as we move forward into the, the summer season. With that, Miles, why don't we jump into your interview with Brian Stevens and Jim Heiss today? Do you want to give us a quick roundup of what we're going to hear before we jump in? Sure. Yeah. Um, I got another chance to catch up with Brian Stevens and Jim Heiss from the Door County Medical Center. Um, really interesting conversation about testing capabilities and where we're at in, in Door County, What how, how we're going to adjust and what what ways the hospital might have to adjust as the influx comes in and the population shifts from a, a Surgeon Bay Southern Door majority of our population here on any given day to a majority of the population being in Northern Door if we do have that influx of visitors. And um, a lot of things that the hospital is dealing with right now, whether it be decreased revenues, changes in service, and what what things that we're doing right now, we might be looking at as long-term structural changes in medical care. I thought it was a really good conversation. They were very open and transparent, and um, I think people will find it really interesting. Perfect. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, now on the podcast, we are joined once again by Brian Stevens and Dr. Jim Heiss at Door County Medical Center. Guys, thanks for joining us. I know you guys are really busy, so thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having us. Last time we spoke, it was, gosh, it might be three or four weeks ago. It might have been seven or eight years ago in my mind. I mean, time has, it no longer applies. But in, in that time, Door County is now sitting at, I, I believe, 12 cases. Uh, we have unfortunately had a couple of people pass from COVID-19. I'm curious, what have you learned? What what did we expect to see and versus what have we seen? Um, anything you've learned about treating this disease and this virus? Anything you want to fill us in on uh, of what we've learned in this these first couple of months? Well, I think if um, you know if we've learned if we've learned anything, it's that um, there's a lot we don't know. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of nationally the case. We, I would say personally, I didn't come into this with any preconceived notions about what we might be facing. We had heard a lot about words like cytokine storm, which is basically an exuberant inflammatory response to to a virus and things like that. But we really didn't know. And, and as it turned out, that's what we saw. I mean, the um, we, we still are, are seeing that most of the patients that test positive for COVID have a relatively indolent course. They, 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 they may feel lousy for a number of days, but they generally recover and, and go on about their business. Um, in the case of people that get sick, they get really sick. I mean, these are the sickest patients I've, I've probably dealt with in my career. And the reason they're so sick is it really affects so many organ systems uh, and in kind of in a catastrophic way, dramatic way. Um, so, and then to your question about 
treatment of things. The treatment still is nationwide, really, um, supportive care, which is really unsatisfying, both for the public and for physicians treating, because supportive care meaning do your best to to keep their oxygen levels up, do your best to support their organ systems and things like that. Quite a few of the uh, things like hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax, uh, vitamin C, things like that, none of those have really proven to to add a lot of benefit, um, especially with hydroxychloroquine. That one really kind of fell through. The only one that we're seeing now that's promising just came out in the literature just a few days back is an antiviral called remdesivir. Uh, and uh, uh, that is uh, an antiviral medication. And that, it didn't, didn't sound like it solved the problem, but it sounds like, boy, we're going to start moving that through uh, to see if we can start using that. Um, Dr. Heiss, I'm, I'm curious. One of the things that I, in, in trying to keep up on this and when you're reading things, everyone's trying to come up with stuff really fast right now, including the the studies that come out. A lot of times those, those don't come into the public sphere until they've gone through some peer review. A lot of times they're not even published. Um, and right now what you see is a lot of stuff being fast-tracked because people need to get this information all around the world to see what how it compares and how it lines up with what what doctors are seeing as they treat this. Have you ever seen anything like that? And is this is it my misperception of that? But it, it does seem like a lot more is coming out before they've actually vetted some of these studies and that's led to maybe some misinformation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, the only thing I can I can uh, say I've seen in the past like this is like, remember back in the day when Alar was, was this going to be this horrible thing with apples. And, and when finally it was studied, it realized that it was kind of much ado about nothing. But I think in this case, because we're all, you know, the, the, the effects of this virus, both on, you know, uh, life limb and our economy are so widespread. I think people are really looking to try and come up with answers as fast as possible. So, yeah, they're coming out and, you know, when, when people report studies and the number of people in the study are less than 100, I mean, that typically isn't enough to make an intelligent assumption or set of assumptions that can be, um, uh, you know, uh, widespread over larger populations. So it, it's a, it is a interesting, from a science perspective, it is an interesting uh, time of uh, time of our career right now. <laughs> I bet. Um, the, okay, one of the questions that people ask, and, and I should say like, Dr. Heiss, thank you for doing the, the Facebook Lives with Sue Powers that you do every Monday. Um, I, I think that's just a, an invaluable resource for the community to at least have some faces to put to this locally, some people they can trust and answer all manner of questions. I mean, some of them probably drive you a little crazy, but because they, they're some people expect you guys to have the answer to everything. Um, sure. I, I see that in the comments, but I think that's a, a great service. So I want to mention that. And for those who haven't seen it, it's every Monday at 6 p.m. Door County Medical Center's Facebook page. There's a, a live stream um, where you guys go about 45 minutes to an hour and just answer a lot of questions for people. Um, but so as of right now, testing capacity, that's the thing that everyone's been talking about. Um, I think statewide, we're up over the capability of doing more than 11,000 tests a day. Um, what is the capability in Door County right now? It, it, can, can anybody, I know we had like limitations early on. Can anybody get a test now? What are the standards for getting a test for COVID-19 if you have symptoms or, or don't have symptoms? What, what's the standard now? Miles, I can speak to that one a little bit just because I was on a call this morning, uh, Rural Wisconsin Health Cooperative uh, hosts uh, phone calls with, with various people, and we were on with Secretary Andrea Palm this morning talking about testing capacity and 
and uh, some of the things that are being done around the state and how their recommendations are changing too. But, but for us, we started out with only being able to send tests to the state lab. And very quickly, the state lab became overwhelmed with the volume of tests that they were receiving. And so they created a, a tiered system. And so it, it eventually, you know, kind of morphed into where we could only send uh, inpatients to the state lab or healthcare workers who were symptomatic. And that's really what it still is today. There's a few other exceptions that we can send to the state lab, but but that's really it. Um, our limitation back then was, was our own personal testing kits because, as you've heard, the supply chain has really been disrupted, and so everybody's trying to get their hands on swabs and testing media and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, we're definitely in a better place now than we were, uh, say, a month ago in terms of testing kits. Uh, we have more options. We've actually been able to create our own media, and that's helped. And then uh, we also have in-house testing, uh, which we've now had for, for a few weeks. Uh, we have a very limited supply of in-house test kits, but we do have a machine where we can run in-house testing and get results in about 45 minutes to an hour. Hmm. We're primarily using those just for our inpatients and just for our um, uh, surgery candidates and, and those sorts of things. So it's, it's really just patients who are seen here in the hospital. And then we also have commercial labs that we can send to. And again, that's based on our supply of, of testing media that we have here to be able to send those out. And the turnaround time on those are around uh, four to five days, which is improved because initially the commercial lab turnaround time was closer to 10 days. So really locally, we've been able to increase our capacity of tests. And I think you've seen the same thing across the state in all the different locales. So when the state talks about wanting to, to have the capacity to test 85,000 people, which we were pretty close. Uh, we can test about 77,000 people a week now uh, in the state of Wisconsin, but we're only testing about a third of that. And I think the disconnect is that the state keeps saying we want to get up to that capacity, but the state also keeps saying you should only be testing symptomatic patients. And I just don't think there are actually 77,000 untested symptomatic patients a week in the, in the state of Wisconsin. So what changed, or what I feel like is starting to change this morning based on some conversations that I was a part of, is that now the, the secretary and, and uh, Wisconsin DHS are starting to say, okay, test symptomatic patients, but when you have a positive who may have been in a work setting or, you know, perhaps lives in a congregate setting, like a, a long-term care facility or something like that, go ahead and test all the people around that person as well. Wow. So obviously that'll really increase the number of tests that we're doing, uh, you know, and, and fortunately, you know, we've only had 12 positive tests uh, recorded uh, as, as of uh, the numbers that came out yesterday. And uh, all of those have been pretty isolated. So we really haven't had anyone in a congregate setting or in a business setting that we're really concerned about. But the first time we do, you know, that definitely that'll be an opportunity for us to do some more extensive testing here in Door County. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting what you mentioned there. Um, so that's that's big news is one that that change in testing policy and, and the recommendations there. Um, and then also what maybe people don't realize is getting to that capacity and correct me if I'm wrong on this. I this is kind of a hunch on my part and based on things I've read. But it's that capacity is there. We've been lucky so far. We have about six thousand cases in Wisconsin. We've kept it pretty well under control. But you want that capacity so that you can 
suddenly ramp it up if you do have some sort of outbreak. Like in, in Brown County, they didn't need that many tests two weeks ago. Now they probably, <laughs> they're probably using all that capacity um, or, or something close to it. So I'd imagine that's, that's part of that goal there is you, you want more capacity than you need. Well, and we do, Miles, we, what we really want from a, from a clinical side of things is we'd like to test as much as possible because that's the only way um, to get a really good sense of what the penetrance is of this disease. Because, you know, the, the concept of if we say, well, you know, we have this number of deaths based on um, X number of people that are infected, if that number, if the total number is low relative to the deaths, it looks like a lot of people are dying from this. Whereas if we find out that you know, rather than 2% of the population is positive, if we find out that 40% of the population is infected and our death rate is what it is, that's telling as well. So it sort of helps us to understand better the natural course, natural history of this disease and, and uh, you know, what that means for us going forward. Sure. Um, and speaking of going forward, I, I know Joel Kitchens, our, our assemblyman, has mentioned that he has said that he believes we're at peak or past peak based on his conversations with folks. Um, given that there's that big outbreak just a few minutes from the county line in Brown County at the, the meat packing plant there, and just given that our, our number of positives have been so low and probably the best, I mean, honestly, Door County has been, March and April are probably the best times we could possibly face this. Um from a population standpoint. So where, what's the hunch on where you think we're at? I mean, especially with 12 cases, it wouldn't take much to suddenly be the biggest peak we've had. So where, where do you see where we're at in, in this fight? Yeah, I, I think we're really, when we first started talking about all this, we were talking about uh, kind of, kind of the bell curve, right. Or the, the parabola uh, where we thought that we would see a, you know, an increase in cases and then it would level off. And then over time we would see a decrease. And I think, you know, partly because the safer at home has been a success story. I mean, from the standpoint of flattening the curve, we really have done that. Uh, so I'm not sure that we'll really see a peak in the traditional sense of what we thought that a peak would be. So I'll give you an example. When we first started looking at, at new cases in the state of Wisconsin, uh, it looked like the statewide peak was going to be on April 1st. I think we had about 200 new cases uh, that day. And then maybe a couple of days later, we had around 200. But then the, the numbers leveled off uh, really through April 20th. So we went over kind of a two-week period where the number of new cases was going down, and it looked like that traditional peak that we were talking about. And then all of a sudden, the outbreak in Brown County happened. And now we've seen some days where we have you know 300 to 340 new cases a day, and that number's gone. So it's obviously gone way up. And so do you look at that then as a, as a second peak? And what does that mean for, for where we are as a state or where we are as a, as a community? So I think what we've learned is that it's not going to be the traditional, you know, one peak and then now we're past it and we can let down our guard. It's more going to be a situation of, you know, hopefully a relatively flat line over time. And then there's going to be spikes. We know there's going to be outbreaks. It, it could be at businesses. It could be in, you know, living settings. It could it could be dependent on a lot of different things. But there are going to be spikes, and so as a healthcare facility and as a community, uh, we've we've got to be prepared to get our arms around those and and you know treat those patients. And that's why I really think, again, when we were all doing the the preparations for this and and started a month or two ago, uh, we didn't know how long of a period of time we were preparing for. Now I fully believe that we have to keep our capabilities in place to treat an outbreak of COVID patients at least for the next year, you know, or wow. at least until 
and until you know a vaccine is created or some some treatment comes out that's that's more effective, I just think we're going to have to be prepared for outbreaks for a long time. You know, that's a that's a really interesting point. I think I think all of us thought of this as like, all right, we get over this little hump, and then we I, I, we were probably naive of thinking we'll go back to normal. It doesn't seem like normal is in the offing. I mean, I just we just got a press release that Peninsula Music Festival has canceled their August um, schedule. And I think we're just going to see more and more of that. Um, yeah, and at the, I mean, at the same time, we can't get paralyzed by right. it, right? I mean, I think it's obvious from an economy standpoint that we can't just continue to, to do what we've been doing. So we have to do what, fortunately, humans are really good at, and that's adapting. And we've got to figure out a way to kind of get back to some sense of normalcy, but do it in a way that that's safe. And I'm actually really excited about a lot of the work that's taking place in Door County around that. There's a lot of a lot of local businesses, uh, and and we I'm on a committee where we're working on some long-term recovery efforts and, and pushing out some guidelines to businesses, whether they be in the tourism sector or manufacturing or, or wherever, to make sure that that when they reopen, they can do that in a safe way. They know what types of procedures they need to have in place to stop the spread of infection within their their place of business, and they also know what to ask of customers. You know, we need to ask you to maintain social distancing and and uh, mask up in certain situations, maybe every situation. So I just think that that's where we're at now is that we, we've got to reopen, but we need to make sure we're doing that in, in a safe and responsible way. Yeah. When you talk to business owners, do you have you come up with some I mean, it's going to be high level, right? Because every business is different. A restaurant has some very specific concerns. A manufacturing plant has very specific concerns. Hotels certainly have specific concerns. But are there like high level guidelines that you have kind of honed in on yet? Or when do you think that maybe some of those recommendations, um, at least from the healthcare side, you can't solve all the businesses problems, right? But um, at least from your standpoint, are are there things that you're honing in on? Yeah, we've We've put together a list of high-level high guidelines that businesses can use, and that was put together in conjunction between Door County Medical Center and Door County Public Health. And we plan to distribute those. I'm hoping we can get those out today. Uh, Destination Door County is going to help us push that, those out to their mailing list. Uh, Door County Economic Development is also going to help us push those out. And I think the tourism zone uh, as well. So uh, we should be able to to have those reach kind of a, a broad audience of business owners and, and managers and directors within uh, Door, Door County. But then we also have a, a group of kind of sector sector leaders uh, within the county. So we've got a couple of restaurants uh, who are working on some more specific restaurant recommendations. We've got a couple of folks who manage lodging establishments who are working on some lodging recommendations. And after we send out the general guidelines, we'll then be following that up with some sector-specific guidelines that are much, much more detailed. Excellent. I know business owners will be very happy to start getting some direction like that um, because I know in talking to so many in the last uh, week or so, as, as people started, the Tavern League started talking about a May 1st open opening and others have pinpointed like a May 12th, the governor says May 26th. Um, a lot of them were said like, I'm, they're just not prepared. They don't feel as much as they want the money, they've said, we don't feel like we're prepared to operate safely and without liability. So some of this stuff, some of that guidance is going to be crucial for, for them to just feel confident that they're keeping their employees and their customers safe. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's going to change so fast. So the other thing we're doing with that effort is we're going to be scheduling, I think they're going to be every other week, 
kind of uh, online town hall meetings so that business owners can get together and ask questions of us, of Door County Medical Center, and of public health as guidelines change. And so there'll be kind of be an ongoing format to do that. That's excellent. Um, certainly keep us abreast of that. We'll, we'll help try and get that message out any way we can at the Pulse as well. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you kind of have to maintain this state of readiness at the hospital for at least the next year, possibly until there's a vaccine. Um, but that means a lot of, and that's a lot of impact for you guys. Um, preparing for COVID has meant putting other non, non-essential um, procedures and things off to the side for the time being. Are you you know, eventually people are going to need to start doing those things again and getting some of those treatments. What What's happening at the hospital now? Are you anywhere close to restarting more of those, um, I, I say elective in some cases procedures, but I'm sure a lot of them are, are not so elective to the people going through this. So what is the future like in the coming months? Is have, Do you feel like you're at a point where you can start um, returning to some of your normal services anytime soon? We've definitely started to have those conversations, and we know there are patients out there who are experiencing pain and, and you know, need those procedures. The term elective, you know, is all pretty relative, right, mm-hmm. because we did have to cancel some things that we felt like were not essential over the last month. Uh, but to get people back to, you know, a lifestyle that they can enjoy, uh, they need some of those procedures. So uh, we're working on a plan right now to start to bring back some more patients into our clinics and to start bring, bringing back some more patients in for procedures such as surgery. Um, it, it will, it'll be a slow ramp up for us. We want to make sure we do that cautiously. It really goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about with all the businesses in Door County. Uh, we've got to do some things differently. From a, For example, uh, we want to try to keep to the extent we can people out of our waiting rooms. And that's really important in the clinic where we see a high volume of patients. So we're working on a pre-registration process where uh, we want to make sure that we're collecting people's cell phone numbers during that process. And when they come for an appointment, they'll actually wait in their car. We'll send them a text message, and then they'll know that's when it's time to come in so that we can get them directly into the exam room. We know that's not going to work for everyone, and so we have some other kind of backup processes in place for that. But uh, we're going to have to change what we're doing, too, to make sure that we can continue to, to see the, the volume of patients that we saw in the past but just maybe do that in a, in a new way, in a way that's completely safe. Um, how do you prepare now? As I, as I mentioned before, like the, we've gone through what may, what I consider probably the easy part of this is the, that March and April stretch. Um, tourism isn't going to be what it normally would be, but I would imagine we're still going to see an influx of people to the county and just running the numbers based on the occupancy percentages um, historically for the from the tourism zone, you see, you know, year round we have, in, and in the winter months, it's about a 60% population of Door County's population is south of Egg Harbor, mostly Sturgeon Bay and Southern Door. Come summertime with the, the visitors and the seasonal residents back, it probably flips to about 60% Northern Door. Does that change much for um, you guys, and instead of going from like year-round residents with a relationship with the hospital, now you're you're looking at okay, this might. What if we have an outbreak now? We're talking about people not familiar with the f- facility, or um, even things like would would you have a northern door testing site? What what kind of thought has gone into how that process might shake out? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, you know we we because of the tourist population that we have every year and the influx of folks from all over the the region. You know, we're not your average critical access hospital or, or small rural hospital. We actually are able to do a lot more. Um, and it's for that reason that we always expect a bit of an influx. 
So we're we're kind of prepared for that as we are on a regular basis. But as you said, you know, the, there are other things that we we need to be um, nimble and ready to, to flex. So that if we start to see a higher percentage of ill people up north, we may need to set up a testing site up north. None of those things are have been planned as of yet, but. You know, I think it's it's important for people to know that you know we we uh, we're ready to to take care of people as they come in. We've been kind of fortunate um, that things have been more benign than we uh, had initially had feared. Um, but uh, the good news is that's given us a chance to to ramp up and practice and be ready to go if in fact it does come. Yeah, and one thing I would add to that, Miles, is um, you know President Trump's emergency orders have allowed us what are called 1135 waivers, and that waives some healthcare regulations, for instance, on the, the number of patients that we can see, on the number of beds that we can staff, and, and those sorts of things. And so for as long as those 1135 waivers are in place, uh, you know, we've made preparations to be able to nearly double our capacity from an inpatient standpoint. And hopefully we never have to use those measures. I mean, hopefully we never you know, have to treat that many COVID positive patients at, at one time. Uh, but certainly those preparations are in place. And, and, and like I say, those beds are, are standing and waiting and we have a staffing plan in place that we can put into to action if we needed to do that. Um, as things move forward and you talk about that, like that's kind of what you have to prep for, right? Is even, even though we hope that's not likely, you've got to prep for an influx of COVID patients. Are you, can you then also with, I, I know like some hospitals have some of these massive tent hospitals that they set up to try and isolate COVID from the regular patients and they haven't had to use them as much in say like Seattle as they thought they had to, or in McCormick place in Chicago, as they originally thought they might have to, at least so far, um, to be able to continue like your normal services have has the hospital made some adjustments to be like, okay, we can handle COVID here and we can still, we can start re returning to normal because part of that question, I guess for you guys, it's a financial one. I mean, you're losing a lot of revenue um, by not being able to run your normal operations, correct? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, early on, one of the first things we did was we brought back to life our old ICU. I know you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. That's a we've used that as a, a COVID isolation unit. It really does help us isolate those patients from the rest of the patient population. And I, I do, I fear that there's this misconception that, you know, there's there's COVID hanging in the air uh, at, at the hospital. And, and that's just not the case. I mean, we, we really do, we really have been able to isolate those treatment areas from all the other treatment areas. Uh, certainly, you know, we're, we've we've gone overboard in terms of our cleaning and disinfecting uh, that, that we're doing. And we, you know, we truly believe that uh, our ER is safe, our urgent care is safe, our clinic is safe. You know, all those other kind of traditional patient care areas are safe to bring back our, our regular patient population. In fact, you know, the reason we're not just opening the doors today and bringing back all those clinic visits and, and all of those surgical patients and all of that is, is really out of an abundance of caution. Um, I, I think we probably could safely do that, particularly once we have some of these new processes in place. Uh, but we want to be respectful of the safer at home order, and we want to do that in a, in a slow and, and cautious way. But certainly, this facility is safe, and it, it's prepared to take care of our normal volume of patients. That's always great to hear. Um, what about financially for the hospital moving forward? Um, I I did see some reports on like the pretty massive numbers in terms of revenue you might be losing. I don't know if you care to articulate some of that or or what challenges you face. Yeah, we're we're not any different from any other hospital in the state. We've we've seen our 
revenue over the last month has been at about 40% of what it normally is. And uh, so that has, you know, put a, put a little bit of a strain on us financially. But what I'll say about that is, uh, one, we came into this in a lot better place than, than most hospitals. Uh, we had a you know, very strong uh, balance sheet, very strong uh, bank account uh, coming in, and that's a testament to uh, the leaders that have been here before and, and all the things they've done to make sure that this is a, a stable organization financially. So uh, that certainly helps. And then the assistance that we're getting from the CARES Act, uh, from local donors, uh, you know, the, the emergency relief fund that's at the community foundation, we've been receiving a couple of grants from, from that fund. And so uh, between what we're getting in terms of federal support and what we're getting in terms of donations from the community, certainly that's helped us to cover kind of all of our additional expenses to prepare for COVID. And, uh, you know, like I say, we, we, we feel pretty confident that, that we're going to be okay financially. It's just it, it has been different than what we expected this year. We're certainly off budget. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, we're still in a strong situation financially, and, and uh, we have a plan going forward. Um, Dr. Hyas, this maybe is a better question for you. Um, you know, we, we haven't had that huge outbreak, but I'm sure anybody who works in a hospital – um, has been on edge to some degree and is concerned, um, not just for their own health and and contracting possibly the the virus, but then potentially exposing their own families when they go home. Um, so I, I imagine that's got to make people very uneasy, even with the limited number of cases we've had. Um, I guess how is how's your staff? holding up and what is the the morale been and the approach been and what are some of those things that you guys are doing to to safeguard them and, and make them feel safe you know i'm pretty happy to say that i think our our staff is doing really well um it's, it's an insightful question because that is a that is a big deal as as far as this can be pretty scary for people and and most of us i've found um you know that are sort of on the the quote-unquote front lines i don't think we're so much afraid for ourselves as much as we are um for as you said taking it home to your loved ones or spreading something to, to other people. So really the way in which that I think we've addressed that is to, is to be very planful, prepare ahead of time. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, blowing sunshine, but I think there's a lot to that. I think, you know, practice makes perfect literally and, and, uh, and doing all the right things. You know, we were very fortunate that some of the things that we've heard out of New York with personal protective equipment and, and a lack of ability to, to have enough of that, we don't face those things. And so I think that helps a lot. I think you'd have a lot more nervous people if we weren't able to give them the appropriate masks to wear in the setting of, uh, of an infection like this. So, and plus the fact that, you know, um, we we kind of deal with infectious disease every day, and and uh, you know well, we've all heard terms like MRSA and C diff and things like that. So those are ubiquitous and around, and and uh, so I, th I think that helps. You know, we also make a big effort to you know uh, we have a, a really nice program uh, that's been set up uh, for the clinicians and the staff and the technicians that if they do feel stressed or 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 concerned. We have some some options for them as far as just helping to decompress and and uh, uh, doing some activities. So that's been a nice thing. And I tell you something else. The biggest piece is is this hospital. Um, you know, we really thrive on culture here, and our culture is 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 really good and uh, the best I've experienced in my career. And I think that helps a lot because I think there's a lot of trust um, that we're not. You know, we're very we try to be as as transparent as as we absolutely can be. There's no secrets. 
Uh, and so I think that helps too, knowing that there's not going to be a surprise coming around the corner. And I imagine things like that outbreak in at the meatpacking plant just down the road that probably kind of raised the hair on some people's necks of, or oh, wait, how, I mean, that could easily end up coming back to Door County. So even though to some people where that seems like, you know, that, that dividing line, oh, that's Brown County. Like that's, that probably feels a lot closer to the folks at the hospital, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And geographic lines don't really serve you much when it comes to a virus and, and spread of disease because we, people get around. Um, I know a lot of people, some of those early projections of what could happen of there being like a million um, deaths in the United States. Some people now will say like, well, see, that was all overblown. On the flip side, at least from what I've seen, I, I, I feel like the, the state, especially Wisconsin, but much of the country has responded far better than I ever expected. When, when this first started to get real, you could drive around and you'd still see packed parking lots at restaurants and bars and people sitting next to each other and, and having play dates and playing basketball. And at that time, I was like, well, even if we put these measures in place, you know, we're not going to be able to control this because I just didn't think that many people would respond as they have. Has it surprised you how well people in Door County or, or the state have responded and taken this virus seriously? I, I don't think it surprised me, but I, I, I agree with you. I think we've done, I think Door County and the, and the region has done a really good job of, of sort of heeding the, the call to social distance. And, and when masking became uh, uh, something that was recommended, we, we, we started doing that. Um, you know, I think you know, we all we all have examples of you go to the store and see a lot of people that don't mask, and that's all true. Um, but I think by and large, um, everyone's done a really good job uh, of doing their best because I think this is one of those times where you know we're not we're not thinking about we shouldn't be thinking about ourselves individually. It's not just about I'm not I may not be sick. It's about well I don't want to sicken someone else. Mm-hmm. That's what always comes into my mind uh, with my my parents are, are creeping up on their late seventies, and I feel good and my core business uh, uh, co-workers and stuff seem good and have been really smart about this. And you start to feel, you can feel yourself with that urge to to slough off on it. And then all you got to do is think about, okay, do I want to go hang out with my parents? And do I feel comfortable doing this and then going and doing that? And that puts it in a different context. And um, even in my job, so many of the people I interview and talk to every day used to be able to do it all in person. And hopefully soon I can do that again. But when I do that, you know, a lot of these people are elderly folks that I love to talk to and, and tell their stories. And you don't want to be the person who, who puts them in danger and at risk. Um, what does the future look like? And like, Brian, you had mentioned that we, we are going to be at some rate of preparedness and a high level of preparedness for at least the next year. Um, so we know that's going to change how hospitals work and how Door County Medical Center looks. But just in general in healthcare, do you think there's some long lasting things that we're going to be with for a long time? I, I think I, as I emailed you, I referenced 9-11 and, you know, the airports have never been the same. Um, certain parts of our life have changed forever on, on that day. This virus is probably um, hitting more parts of society. Is there anything from just your specific perspective in the, in the hospital of um, what you see changing long term out of this. Yeah, I, I think there'll be several changes to the way healthcare is delivered, and I think some of those are going to be really positive. I mean, the the best example, kind of the most obvious example, is the way that we've been able to use virtual visits and and phone calls to treat patients over the last month. Um, I'll be honest, that's something that 
you know, we, we obviously we've had it on our radar. Our partners at Prevea have been doing virtual visits for a couple of years, and we've kind of promoted that to some extent. But here locally, we had not done a lot of that. There's a couple of reasons for it. One is that, you know, our internet connectivity throughout the county is not strong. And so it's hard for us to do virtual visits with some of our patients because of the, the internet situation that they're facing in their home. But, but we literally went from doing zero virtual visits in our clinic uh, probably five weeks ago to uh, now we've done over 600 virtual visits. And uh, so, you know, very quickly ramped up on that. And I think our physicians like it. I think patients like it. Those who, you know, have good internet connectivity and are, and are confident with that kind of technology. And, you know, eventually that's going to really help us save costs and, and deliver more affordable health care uh, in indoor County. So I think that's, that's pretty exciting and uh, something that we definitely want to embrace. I'm glad we were able to get it going as quickly as we did. And uh, now we can just continue to build on that. And maybe that'll lead to forcing us to get better internet for those last few people. <laughs> I shouldn't even yeah. la say last few as if it's a small problem in Door County. I mean, there are a lot of people with poor connectivity. So um, maybe it'll lead us to do something as a, as a larger community or society or, or state to fill those gaps because it's affecting. Yeah, I, think, I think all the coverage of coronavirus has maybe overshadowed, but my understanding is there have been some, some, you know, grants and some things that have come through in the last couple of months in Door County that, that should help with that. So mm -hmm. hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Dr. Heiss, is there anything you're seeing in a, in like a day-to-day -day practice thing that may change? I mean, obviously hospitals have always been focused on cleanliness and um, sanitization, but is there anything that you see in practice that might uh, stick around moving forward? Well, I think um, my practice is in the hospital, and I think that you know telehealth, telemedicine related to being able to uh, work with specialists over a uh, uh, an internet, over a, a, a video screen, so that the physician who is not local can see the patient. And we already do that now, and I think this just really points out that this is, is really a good way to go. And I know, as Brian said, the, the, the physicians and, and other clinicians in the clinic are really finding the, the, the video visits and virtual visits to be kind of a boon. So it, it's exciting. I mean, I tend to be just myself, I tend to be a little bit of a techie. And unlike a lot of doctors, I actually like change. So I think <laughs> there's going to be a lot of positives that come from this when all is said and done. Um, I think, go ahead, Brian. You know, you, yeah, no, I just was going to say um, you know, one of the things is the regional collaboration that's been a part of this. I really think if we can, if we can continue that and, and, and build on it, we have a, a daily call every morning with the CEOs of every healthcare organization in Northeast Wisconsin and the chief medical officers. And you know, I think it may be a little pie in the sky to think, oh, we can we can think above above and beyond the competitive nature of healthcare once we get out of this. But I certainly think that group of chief medical officers can continue to meet ongoing and think about the health of Northeast Wisconsin and what's best for our communities and continue to work together. I, I, I see some collaboration opportunities going forward that, that hopefully will, you know, be be out there well after uh, we're done thinking about COVID. That's a really interesting point. I think a lot of industries are, are probably seeing some degree of that where restaurant owners who maybe saw each other as competition are coming together to try and figure out how they're going to operate. Hotel owners, I know this happening in the newspaper industry. People are facing such a, such a crisis that goes beyond them that they're reaching out for any resource they can find to try and find, like carve out a way forward. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting aspect of it. Um, you know, like anything else that we have not talked about that uh, maybe I'm not aware of that we should mention to our listeners this week? 
I, I would just say continue to be safe, continue to respect the safer at home order. I know I know we're, everybody's getting tired of it at, at this point. And maybe, I mean, I'm optimistic and maybe that's because of the work that I've been doing with all the local businesses. I mean, I, I do think we're going to find ways to enjoy this summer, right? And to continue to do some of the things that we love to do. We may be wearing a mask while we're doing it, or we may be doing it, you know, from a, a little bit more of a distance from, from our peers than, than we used to do. But uh, we're, we're still going to find ways to, to enjoy this summer. But I think there's going to be a temptation as the weather gets nicer, you know, to, to kind of start to get out and, and do more of those things. But just please continue to do it in a safe way. Um. You know, and, and I didn't give you guys a chance to say this at the beginning, but I, I just read this exhaustive report on uh, um, this in the New Yorker about the response to an epidemic like this and how you have to you should start with a consistent message at the beginning and a consistent message at the end. So um, even though we said it a million times, you wash your hands, don't touch your face, um, wear that mask. And even though it seems old and it's it's going to be easy to, to slack off on it and or at least feel the urge to slack off. Um, it's probably more important now that we're talking about reopening and having these people come back to our, our county and at least whether it's going to be the throngs that we're used to or half of that or 70%, um, you know, we're going to have to be as vigilant now, if probably more so, um, than we were before. And nobody wants to see a, a big outbreak where we have to shut it down again And once we, once we do decide to open. So, um, well... Both of you, I really appreciate uh, your time coming on here. I know you have a lot of requests from a lot of different angles. Um, and please come back and join us again and keep sharing information with the public. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Miles. Thanks for your opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.